Good morning, everybody, and welcome to Greater Alton Church. Good to be with you this morning. I'm glad you could be here. Uh, here we are wrapping up January. Can you believe 2022 is just flying by already? So we're in this series called Jesus Is. We've been looking at the names of Jesus, trying to look at like the character of Christ as well. You know, names, we use names to describe everything, everywhere, everyone. Without a name, you just don't know. you got to have a title, so to speak. Uh, or a description, a name to describe something. And that's how important names are. I thought about parents, how hard they, a lot of parents work at, I'm <laughs> thinking of a story, I don't know if I should tell it, but I think about how parents work really hard to pick out names. My wife came home years ago when she was in respiratory therapy, back when we were first married. She goes, you're not going to believe what happened today. And I said, what's that? Well, a woman had a child. I said, well, that's normal, isn't it? Well, not while she's washing the dishes. She's washing the dishes, didn't know she was pregnant. And she gives birth to this child. Just, there it is. And you're never going to guess the name. Uh, what's the name? She's calling this boy Sweet Whoops Williams. Imagine that as a running back, maybe, for somebody. Here comes Sweet Whoops. <laughs> but uh, what a strange you know, names. I, I did a funeral this week for someone... I don't know anybody here that, do you like your name? My mother's name, and she may be watching, is Gilberetta Rudell Gill. Now, which name would you want to go by? And now it's Martinez. Gilberetta Rudell Martinez. She never, I never heard anybody call her Gilberetta. Named after her dad, Gilbert. There's some strange names out there. And, you know, my, my grandmother, we called Bobo. We, we, her real name was Genevieve. But, you know, when you're two, three, four years old, you can't even pronounce Genevieve. So you go with the easiest thing, Bobo. <laughs> Jesus is called by over 198 different names, names and titles. And some of the names uh, range from his followers calling him the Christ or my God, Savior, uh, to other names from his critics, which called him things like liar and blasphemer or glutton or drunkard. There's a whole host of different names. And it's interesting when you do a study, do a study sometime, just go peruse, uh, skim through the book of John and watch what people are calling Jesus and then ask yourself, why are they calling him this name? Where did they get the idea? Did it come from Jesus himself, from a miracle or from some criticism, some pride? Because see, the, the way we name things or the way we see Jesus, the name, if you were to fill that blank out and say, well, Jesus is, and you've said, this is the name he is right now in my life, says a lot more about you than about Jesus. Because how you identify, how we identify Christ has a big impact on how we live for Christ. And that's why we're doing this series right now. And today I want to look at this idea of Jesus is the bridegroom. Um, if you, I don't know if you, how many weddings you've been to. I've lost count. I was going through, uh, what, every time I prepare a wedding, last time I did a wedding was for Floyd and Susie. And as I'm preparing their wedding, I look at every wedding I've ever done. I look, I, many of you, you asked me to do your wedding. Why? <laughs> you know, well, you did. You took a chance. And I remember, uh, just how special. I, and I, and I'm reminded every time I go through them, I go, Oh, I, I remember. I forgot I did their wedding. And um, we've all been to them, and we we know what happens. And it's funny, we still go through rehearsals, don't we? We still go through rehearsals, even though we've seen it a thousand times. We know how it works. Family comes down and sits down. Here comes the wedding party. You know, groom comes out. Wedding party preacher. They have a unity candle or some some kind of uni, 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 unity ceremony, and then they change vows, and there's a ring, and and the, you know, then they. Pronounce them, they have the kiss, and bam, out the door they go. Yet we still go through this rehearsal every time. Like we've never done it before. <laughs> it's funny to me. We've been to several of them. And we always know that it's, we always refer to the wedding day as the day that belongs to the bride, right? It's your day. What do you want to do? I want to have jetpacks and we're going to come flying in. Well, it's your day. We'll try it. You know, I want to do this. I want this music. And yet it's, it, it involves another, another person. Guys, 
you know, bridegrooms. And uh, it's interesting to watch. I've been, like I say, I have a ton of wedding stories where bridegrooms tried to duck out the back door and I had to block the door. That's a, I'm going, where are you going? I don't want to get married. You're going, you are getting married, pal. We didn't do all this for you to back out. Let me through there, Tim, over my dead body. Oh, they're still married, by the way. That couple is still married. But look at this passage here. Jesus, uh, or John the Baptist is speaking, and he's talking about the bridegroom. Some people are asking him, you know, hey, this guy over here is baptizing more than you, and they're pointing to Jesus, and he says, does that, they ask him, does that bother you? And he goes, well, the bride always belongs to the bridegroom. It's very clear in a wedding who the bride is and who the groom is, correct? You don't want to go to a wedding where it's confusing. Absolutely. The bride always belongs to the bridegroom. The friend who helps the bridegroom just waits and listens. He's happy just to hear the bridegroom talk. And that's how I feel now. I'm so happy that he's here. And who is it that's here? It's Jesus. And he says, he's, I'm not the bridegroom, John the Baptist says. No, he's the bridegroom. I'm just a friend that showed up at the wedding. I'm kind of like the best man. I'm there to make sure it happens. And, he, and, and it's true. Jesus in Luke here, Luke chapter 5, he makes this real clear that he, he believes he is the bridegroom. They're asking him, people are saying stuff to him like, well, you know, uh, I noticed that some people, uh, John's disciples and the Pharisees and all these other people, they fast, uh, they fast, but your guys don't fast. Your disciples don't fast. Look what it says here. John's disciples often fast and pray, and so do the disciples of the Pharisees, but yours go on eating and drinking. And Jesus' answer is, well, can you make the friends of the bridegroom fast while he's with them? But the time will come when the bridegroom will be taken from them. In those days, they will fast. And so Jesus is straight up, I am, a, I'm the bridegroom. Now the Bible compares in all over the place, Old and New Testament, it compares our relationship with God to a marriage. Um, in fact, I, I, I had so many verses that didn't make the cut this Sunday. There are just too many of them. But, but if you ever just type in your Google search, um, a relationship with God compared to marriage, and you're going to see all these passages that keep coming up in the Old Testament. Let me give you a couple. Here's one in Jeremiah 2. At the time, you were a young nation. You were faithful to me. You followed me like a young bride. God is t- speaking through the prophet Jeremiah. He's telling the, the, saying this about Israel. You used to follow me. You know, we used to be close. You find out later that the marriage gets on, goes to, it gets in trouble, big trouble. And you, you see that they quit following Christ they, or following the Lord. They start, they start, uh, having a spiritual affair with idols and nations. And you see this throughout the Old Testament. In Ephesians, here's a familiar passage. Paul's talking about uh, marriage. And then he says here in verses 31 through 32, a man leaves his father and mother to get married, and he becomes like one person with his wife. This is a great mystery, typical man. Huh? That's what men do. <laughs> marriage is a mystery still to me. But he says, but I, I understand. I mean, I'm talking about Christ in the church. I'm talking about how Christ in the church are like the groom and the bride. Now, one of the things that's obvious in a marriage that, you, that or in a wedding that you're going to have is vows. And I, I had talked to a couple that uh, I did their wedding years ago, and he carries his vows in his in his pocket or in his billfold with him. I know some of you have some of you ever written your own vows in your wedding. Anybody here written your own vows? There you go. See, we we do that. That's always, the, the, the wives always go, you know, the brides go, I want to write her own vows. And then that's when the groom starts panicking. You know, and oh no. Then she has this big, long, flowery, wonderful vow. And then, and then the, the groom, sometimes the grooms look at me like, what she says. <laughs> Basically, it's hard for, but sometimes the grooms come through. Vows are a big deal. I'll ask in every wedding, do you want to have, you're going to write your own vows or you want me to do them? And depending on the couple, sometimes they say, well, Tim, we'd like, just do the traditional vows. Oh, you're talking about, you know, do you take you and take you and yeah, for better, for worse. Absolutely. I can do those. Every, every wedding has them. You're, so you probably, those of you who are married here know, you probably remember your vows, right? Right? 
Sometimes we forget them, don't we? I've always wanted to write a book, you know, and it, and and something about, you know, I do, and then the hashtag is, what did I just agree to? <laughs> you know, what did I agree to? Because every, like I say, we're we're making these vows, and these vows are so important in, in a wedding. They're not just words. Uh, every every wedding I have, because it was said in mine, and it made an impression on me, that the vows are serious and sacred. Not because you can find them in God's Word, but because you're giving your Word. And it matters. And so uh, today I thought we'd look at four vows uh, that um, I believe have a big impact on our quote-unquote marriage with the Lord. And if we're going to have a great relationship with, with the bridegroom as the bride of Christ, which is His church, it's going to take some promises from you and I. Let's look at the first vow. The first vow is, I vow to love Jesus exclusively. Like I say, I've done a lot of weddings. And years ago, I don't know when it happened, but um, I started not being up here with the groom. Anybody here remember your wedding where I wasn't with you, guy? You had to walk out by yourself. I would sit in the front row. Now, why would I do that? Because I love watching the groom during a wedding. I know the bride comes in, she's all pretty, but I like watching the groom. So I'm, I'm sitting there going, it's almost like when they come out, and the grooms are almost, they come out the same way. They, they start off like this. They, they kind of maybe do this, and then they walk out, or some of them are, you know, it's just all different, but they all, and then they stand there, and they look so pathetic. <laughs> Because where's the preacher? Hold my hand. I'm all alone. Kind of like Adam. That's why I do that. Because I want that that feel, that moment where here he is all alone. And of course, you know, uh, then the music changes. The doors open and everybody's... And the mother, what's the mother always do? The mother, the, the bride's supposed to stand up and go and look back. And everybody stands up. With her, right? And the music's coming, and here she comes down the aisle, and everybody's looking at the bride, but me. I'm not. I'm looking at the groom. See, I'll never forget how I felt when I saw my wife coming down the aisle. Like an angel. And so I'm watching the groom, and their faces are, I've watched grooms cry. Oh, I can't believe I can just cry. Some of them are like, their eyes are just dancing. And there's some you think, I better get up or he's going to fall over. I mean, he doesn't know what he's going to do. But it's just like, it's wonder and it's awe. Why? Because that girl is going to be his wife. You know, none of the other men are looking at the groom. And none of the men, maybe they look at the bride and go, wow, she's pretty today. But they're not thinking I'm going home with her. One guy is. I will never forget this as long as I live. I remember Denise and I, after we get married, you know, uh, it's, uh, we uh, go home to change. We go to, the, to, our, to our trailer. We live in a little trailer. And we get in the back bedroom and she starts undressing. I'm going, I'm trying to get out of the room. What are you doing? She goes, we're married now. And I'm going, no, no, no. Wait a second. Wait a second. I wasn't thinking this far ahead. Oh, man. I got over that real quick, by the way. I did get over that. But, but it's, but what is it? You know, it's like, we're living together under the same roof. And I just promised to love her and her only till death do us part. See, love has to be exclusive. For a marriage to work. I mean, imagine, imagine a, a, a couple getting married and there's two or three women that are also gonna, ladies, is that gonna work? No, it's, it's one. You say, well, what about those people back in the Bible that were married to several women at the same time? And I said, yeah, and look how they did. <laughs> Headache. 
It's true. No, it's it's got to be one person. I remember listening to uh, uh, hearing a wife as years ago. They asked if they could get with Denise and I, and she goes, "Tim, I don't know what to do." What do you mean? Well, the other day I took my wedding ring off and set it on the computer monitor and told my husband, you might as well marry this because you spend more time with this than you do with me. Wow. Only kind of, there's only room for one love. Jay Adams, a, a Christian psychologist, mentions in his book, Competent to Counsel, three relationships that threaten every marriage. First one is parents. Parents. Denise and I are firm believers in not getting in the way of our son's marriages. I remember after we worked, I worked on both their houses, remodeled both their houses, and I'm going in, I've got, come up to the house. I've been walking in and out of it, had a key all this time, but the day after the wedding, or a week after, I knock on the door. What are you knocking for? This is not my home. This is not my home. Why? See, I got parents we have to remember, and those of us that are married that have parents need to remember, though we love our mother and father, and though they love us very much, they cannot rival this relationship that we have formed together as husband and wife. Friends could be a problem. That's the second type of relationships in a marriage. Friends. I remember when I first got married, I still had a singles mindset. I didn't realize it until I got confronted one day where she, I come home, she goes, where you been? This is before cell phones. We had pay phones. That's all we had. No pagers, just pay phones. Where you been? Well, I've been out with some buddies. What are you crying for? You call. I'm supposed to call? Nobody, I didn't get the memo. Nobody told me this. But friendships can really challenge and threaten marriages. They stick their nose in our business. We sometimes we'll tell them about what's going on, and oh, I wouldn't do it that way at all, and blah blah blah. They can have a got to be careful that the friendships, those other levels of relationships we have, don't overcome a marriage. And then kids are the third. They're in this order. Kids. I remember when my son got born, I looked at Denise and said, I'll see you in 18 years. And she goes, what's that supposed to mean? It's everything's changed now. You're not going to be waiting on me. I'm not going to be your focus. i got to share it with this rug rat. I'm not excited. Well, you said you wanted kids. Can we take him back? No, you can't take him back. <laughs> but kids can do that. And kids do that even later in life. Where are you going? I'm going to take care. I got to take care of this. I got to take care of that. You're never home. No, for, for there to, two people to have a marriage, no one can totally love their spouse and someone else. We have to choose. See, God's love for you and I is exclusive. You're the love of his life. Look at this passage in Romans 3. For God has proved His love by giving us His greatest treasure, the gift of His Son. And since God freely offered Him up as a sacrifice for us all, He certainly won't withhold from us anything else He has to give. I heard I was reading an article, foolish article, did God love us more than His Son? That's a stupid question, to be quite honest. He loves both. What we learn from God is that he, he loves you and I more than Himself. That's agape love. Now I know the Bible compares, this is important to remember, the Bible, I know the Bible compares a relationship with God like uh, kings and subjects. Right? The Bible shows that parallel. He's the king and we're his subject. He has a kingdom, we're his subjects. And the Bible will even compare our relationship with him with things like master and servant, owner, slave, judge, defendant, 
But the thing that resonates the most in the scriptures is this relationship between a lover and a loved one. Read the Song of Solomon. And it's just filled with that imagery. That's so important to remember. Because what that means is that, that God loves no other, no other thing but His church. I have to remember that sometimes. You have to remember that sometimes? That He loves His church. I need to be careful how I treat His church. But, but, the, but there's something else that the bridegroom expects that my love is to be exclusive too. That's the second thing. That my love, my love is to be exclusive too. Look what Jesus said in Matthew 10 here. He who loves his father and mother more than me is not good enough for me. He who loves his son or daughter more than me is not good enough for me. What's he saying? It's not good enough to him. If I have to share you with, if your mom and dad or your kids become rivals with me, this isn't going to work. Because I'm all in. I'm all in. And I need you to be all in too. In fact, look at 2 Corinthians 11.2. It says, Paul said this to the church to the church at Corinth. He says, I am jealous for you with a jealousy that comes from God. I promise to give you to Christ. And look what it says there. He must be your only husband. I want to give, I want to give you to Christ. To be his pure bride. Talk about, you want to be a best man at a wedding? The maid of honor in the kingdom? You want the church to be pure before the groom. You know, that, by the way, it used to be, there was no maid of honor. It used to be in ancient times, you had two fellas that were friends, the best man for the groom and the best man for the bride. And what was their job? To make sure purity was maintained and make sure everything they needed, they got so they could have a great marriage. Isn't that something? And so as as a church, we really help each other with our marriage with Jesus. But that love's got to be exclusive too. Question, what rivals your love for God? What rivals it? Jay Adams says there's these three relationships that can rival your marriage. Well, they don't have to be necessarily relationships, but they can be things too. What are some, what are the three biggest threats in my marriage with Jesus? Here's the second vow, and that is I vow to connect with Jesus regularly. I vow to connect with Jesus regularly. You know, one of the keys to a good relationship is communication, right? We know that's true. And like I say, you know when a marriage is in trouble, you know when a relationship is in trouble, when people begin to talk less and less and less to one another. I was looking at studies and trying to find some stuff that would, you know, what, what do we know about relationships and communication? And one of the things that uh, that's been recently was shown like last year was that, and it was during COVID and all this, they discovered something that when people, when dating couples go out to eat for an hour, they spend 50 minutes of that hour talking to one another when they're dating. Guess what happens when they start getting married? When they get married, that number begins to dwindle. I thought this was interesting. After 20 years of marriage, 20 minutes out of the hour. After 50 years of marriage, it's three minutes out of the hour. Someone discovered this, that two-thirds the two-thirds of marriages in America spend 30 minutes together each day. And the average amount of time they're talking to one another is four minutes a day. You see, if you want your marriage to flourish, you've got to communicate with God on a regular basis. That's why here recently... We got together as a core and looked at our small groups. And what we're doing with it is, is just asking ourselves, we just simply asked the question, you know, because of COVID and the social distancing and just, it's just messed everything up, hasn't it? We have, we have formed, we have gotten away from good habits and formed some poor habits when it comes to relationships. And it's, you know, we're wearing more than a mask over our face and you know it's it's encouraging masks in lots of different ways folks 
and the distancing that it's created, it's dangerous what's happened. I read an article recently that said it's not that people have deserted churches. Churches are deserting their people. Now you may say, that's right. And this church, blah, 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 blah. Well, what about my relationship with God? You know, as I, as I look at relationships in general, and I'll tell you, our effort here, we're trying to recapture and restore three things in our small groups. Is our goal that everybody be a part of a small group? We would love everyone here to be a part of a small group. Most of you are, by the way. We found that very encouraging. But we want you to know, we, we want, we want every, we'd love everybody to be in a small group. Why? Because they would, we want them to receive three things in a small group. Connection, which is very important right now. Affection. People need loved. And direction. Encouragement and direction from other Christians. And we're, right now we're, we are talking, some of you have probably already been talked to, like, hey, have you thought about this group or that group? We're wanting, we want everybody to be involved. In fact, we, right now we've given this radar to every small group, uh, here at Greater Alton, that they have a radar that sort of speaks that goes, no, what, who's not connected? Who can we reach out to? Who can we help connect? to the rest of the body. It's essential. For any good relationship, there has to be connection. Look at this passage here in uh, Psalms 55, verse 17. Morning, noon, and night I cry out of my distress, and the Lord hears my voice. David says, I talk to the Lord all the time. In the morning, at noon, and at night. And He hears me. I thought, I love that. And He hears my voice. Now, often we're talking about communication, especially in marriage. I'll hear complaints like, he won't talk. And I hear from him sometimes, she won't listen, or vice versa. And I think it's great that God hears our voice. Aren't you glad that we can pray? Right now, I've been reading a lot about Justin the Martyr. He's around 155 AD, and he lets us peek into the worship service of the early church. And one of the major things they did was pray together, all together. It's hard to argue with this, okay? If it was an early practice of the church, and here we're going to pray together. I don't like praying together. We don't have to lead prayer, but how about pray? At least pray. I mean, imagine. I go to church, and I'm, I don't like praying. Holy cow. They, I know some places that pray at sporting events. And nobody goes, what are you doing praying? I want the Chiefs to win. I've been with people. And Lord, help the Packers win today. I won't mention his name, Gary Spurgeon. But anyway, it's... And I appreciate those prayers, Gary, okay? But it's just interesting that, you know, and I think it's so awesome that God hears our voice. And, and David says, if God, what's that mean? God is going to listen. And he's taking advantage of it. Morning, I get in the morning. I'm going to talk to him. And the noon, it's middle through my day, I'm going to talk to him. Before I go to bed, I'm going to talk to him. And what better way to fall asleep than in the middle of a prayer? Ah, done that many times. But there's another side to this communication. If we want to have a great marriage with Jesus. And that's listening. I, we hear people say, how's your prayer life? How's your prayer? Oh, it's not very good. I sometimes ask myself, how's my listening life? How's my learning life? Because communication involves listening to God as well. Look at this psalmist here in Psalms 143. Let me hear of your unfailing love each morning, for I am trusting you. Show me where to walk so I can give myself to you. Ask yourself this question. When it comes to communicating with the bridegroom, who is doing most of the talking? See, I've learned something. The best moments... And by the way, it's important that we talk. It's important we keep talking to one another. Four minutes a day, I'm going to cut it in our marriages, right? It's important. But it's important we listen. We listen to God. Listen to each other. I've learned that the best moments in my relationships, 
Maybe this has happened to you. The best moments have been when I've stopped talking and just started just listening. Have you ever heard anybody say this? I've had this said to me this week. I'm putting my cell phone in the truck, Tim, when we go in to eat. Okay, what are you doing? I'm thinking to myself, why do you need, are you Batman or something? Do you really need your cell phone with you all the time? How many times have we, have our spouse said, would you just put your phone down? My wife will say this to me. We're over at El Mezcal and I'm having, you know, whatever she's having. And she goes, what are you doing on the phone? That's code for, why are you on the phone? We went out to eat with each other. Get off the phone. It's awful quiet in here, Alan. Because I know this is how, how many times have you been to Denny's or Lenny's or whatever, Benny's, and you look over and you see, you see a whole family. And you're like, look how silly they are. And you get on the phone to talk about it. This one, take a photo. <laughs> look what I just saw. And your wife's going, there's no hope for you. You know that, right? I'll never forget one time. I, I discovered this by accident. By accident. I was watching something on TV. Denise was trying to talk to me. I really wasn't interested in the TV, and I shut it off. And, I'm look, and she's telling me stuff, and I go, okay. Later, two or three days later, she goes, you know, I never felt more valued, Tim, than when you shut that TV off. I didn't tell her that I wasn't interested in the TV. There was nothing there. But I learned a lot about her. I learned a lot about us. I gotta turn that TV off. I gotta put that phone down. I've got, I've got to, there's a time to talk, you know, to her, but there's a time that she just wants me to listen. And she, you know, will we'll go over, I'll go, why are you telling me this stuff? I just wanted you to listen. I already know this. I've read Psalms before. And God goes, yeah, I know. Can we look at it again? I got some more things I want to tell you. Could you put your phone down? Could you put your, your, your time, your time clock or whatever and your workload and all your focus on all your fun? Just set it aside. Could we just, I'm listening to you all the time, Tim. And you pray, Oh God, help me not die in this wreck. I listened to that. I heard that. I've heard stuff where you go, oh man, help me pass this test or help me get that promotion or help me figure out how to pay the bills or help me figure out this problem. And I've listened to all that. Can I want to say, can I, can I get some words in? I'd like to do some talking. It's essential. It's a vow that we make that we're going to connect with God on a regular basis. I love this passage in the Passion Translation. David says, I'll listen carefully for your voice and wait to hear whatever you say. And look at this. The message every one of your godly lovers long to hear. I want to hear. You know, my heart melts every time my wife uses my name in a sentence. She could even be complaining or getting on me. If she says, Tim, um, she's got me. And as long as she doesn't say, Tim, I'm, I'm, I'm saying, you know, I think I'm going to make it. And then she says, Tim, I'm going, oh no, here we go. Oh, and I, and I know that means I need to listen. Well, the Lord wants to say something to you. Make that vow to connect with Him regularly. Here's the third vow. I vow to live with Jesus faithfully. This is a tough one. What's faithfulness mean, Tim? Well, I'll take a stab at it. It has something to do with being loyal. It has something to do with, with being this person that has this steadfast affection and allegiance to the one we're going to be faithful to. It means to have, this one, one Webster says, a firm adherence to a promise or a pledge. You see, all healthy relationships, all serious relationships depend on Fidelity. That's one of the reasons that the couples exchange vows at their wedding. It's not a time filler, folks. It's not a ceremony. It is, we're witnessing two people actually promise their love to one another for a lifetime. Why is that so important? Because a commitment to fidelity is essential when it comes to marriage. See, there can be no marriage 
without mutual loyalty. It can't be done. It takes both. It takes loyalty, first of all, from God. And God gives his, he vows this to you and I. In a book, uh, the book of Hosea, it's during the time when Israel is been into, they're, they're unfaithful to God. They've been, they've been worshiping idols. They are depending, they're going to Egypt and Assyria for help instead of coming to the Lord. And, uh, God tells Hosea, I want you to do something. I want you to marry this prostitute. Why? Well, because I want Israel to see that they're a lot like your marriage with a prostitute. Like she's unfaithful. Gomer, that's her name, Gomer. Are you kidding, Tim? Gomer? I know there's a name there. Look it up. Google it. It's Gomer, not Pyle. Gomer. And he says, says, I want you to marry her. And she's going to have some kids and some of them are not going to be yours. I want Israel to see, and I want you to love her. I want you to take care of her. And if she's unfaithful with you, I want you to take her back. I want Israel to see the trouble they get into when they're unfaithful to me and how I want to have reconciliation so bad with you. They've got to see that, Hosea. And look, and so we see this loyalty from God and and God's speaking to Hosea, and, you, and they almost sound like vows, don't they? I will take you to be my wife forever, he says to Israel. I will take you to be my wife in righteousness, justice, love, and compassion. I will take you to be my wife in faithfulness. And look what the result is. And you will know. You will know the Lord. You'll be close to God. And that's what we see. We see all the elements of a good vow here. We see, first of all, this idea of this commitment to stay, to not run. A lot of people want to get out of stuff, out of relationships when they go sour. They don't want to face it and try to deal with it. They're looking for a way out, a loophole, if you will. By the way, they feel a lot of guilt and shame when they do that. Notice he says, he says, it's my wife. I'm going to take you to be my wife. There's his love. It's so exclusive. You're going to be my wife. And by the way, I'm going to love you so much that I'm going to do it with righteousness. I'll always do the right thing in the marriage. I'll always, I'll be for the right thing. When we make a decision together, when we do something together, it's going to be, we're going to do what's right. You can count on me. I'm going to do the right thing. You may not like it. You may not enjoy it. There's been many times, Denise and I have had our arguments. And she'll say, well, you're the head of the house. I go, no, 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 wait a minute, wait a minute, wait a minute. No, 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 you're not going to pull that one. God is the head of this house. And there's been times it's been the other way around. I'm going, I don't like this. She goes, I know you don't like this, but you reminded me one time, oh, the Lord is the head of this place, right? Yeah, so let's get, we got to do what's right to Him. And not only that, He's committing to, to being fair, just, a person of integrity, honest and his love he's always thinking about the good of Israel so even when he has to do something tough he's not putting his own pleasure and his own attitude he's like oh no I'm gonna I want I want what's best for you and so we may have to go through this time of cutting the budget or making some sacrificial decisions or or going through some pain in order in order to be to stay close, to help each other grow. I'm reminded of, a, of a, uh, right now of a, a, a lot of times in the vows I've given some of many of you in this room. It was, uh, and do you promise to help them to be all that God wants them to be? You guys remember that? Remember that? And, you, and what do we say? I do. I do. That's how God is. I'm going to do everything I can to help you be what I made you to be. And he's, and he promises to be full of compassion. He promises to be kind. Boy, there's a, there's a great word there. To be compassionate in a marriage. Love is always kind. I wish I could tell you I was always kind to my wife. I can't tell you that. But God is always kind. 
kind to me and he's kind to you. Full of compassion, it says. And what will happen? You're going to know me. We're going to have a close relationship because of it. And see, not only is God saying, hey, I'm vowing my faithfulness, my vow is important too. So it takes loyalty from me if I'm going to make this marriage with Jesus work. Look what the Bible says here. David's asking this question, Lord, who may dwell in your sacred tent? Who may live on your holy mountain? He's saying, who can live with you? Live in your house? Be with you? Stay with you? Who can make a home with you? And he says several things, but I thought this was interesting here in verse 4. Who keeps an oath even when it hurts and does not change their mind. In other words, I make a vow and I'm not going to break it. I know non-Christians, they'll keep a vow if it kills them. Non-Christians. He's asking us as Christians, as followers of God. He says, you want to dwell with me? Be a person that doesn't break their vow. Hebrews 10 says this about the oath. Let us hold unswervingly to the hope we profess. For For he who promised is faithful. God stays faithful. He says, hold on to that. Be faithful to that hope that we profess with our lips. We vow. But let's face it. Sometimes we're not very faithful. Some of us, I don't know which category I am, but sometimes I'm not very faithful in my relationships. 2 Timothy 2, Paul reminded Timothy this, if we are unfaithful, if, as if he's saying you can be faithful, but if you're unfaithful, Tim, God remains faithful because he cannot be untrue to himself. He sees he sees that one fleshness of being married to Jesus and says, I can't disown myself. But there's times, you know, faithfulness is tough to be. It's tough to be faithful. So what do I do when I'm unfaithful? In 2017, Jay-Z admitted to his, uh, an affair that he had behind Beyonce's back. Can you imagine that? And he admits it. And this is what he says. In an interview, he said, the hardest thing is seeing pain on someone's face that you've caused and you have to deal with yourself. Most people quit. I have betrayed, I have betrayed some friends before and I couldn't look them in the eye when we dealt with it. You know what I'm talking about? Maybe you've done something, you've hurt somebody and you, you, it's hard to, to see the pain in their eyes because they've been hurt. You see, when we, when we sin, it isn't so much that we break God's law. We break God's heart. And that's how I look at it. I go, oh man, God, I don't want to break your heart. It's hard for me to look in your face. And so what do I want to do? Uh, give up, walk away, run away, not deal with it. But the greatest thing you can do when you're unfaithful, listen, the greatest thing you can do is face it. Deal with it. Deal with it. Don't run from it. It's, it's a, it's a vital key to restoring any relationship, friendship, marriage, family. Face it. How do I do that, Tim? Real quick here. Four, four, four bullet points. First, believe God wants to reconcile. You know, God hates divorce. Bible says it. Now, He doesn't say He hates divorce, the people that divorce. He hates divorce. And I've talked to, everybody I've, I've talked to that's went through divorce says, I agree with God. It's awful. I've never heard somebody say, woohoo, I loved going through that divorce. It was a blast. I want to do it again. No, no, no. You don't hear anybody talk like that. God, he doesn't like it. He doesn't like it when we're, we're distant from him. He wants to be close. So close he comes from heaven in the form of Jesus Christ. Walks amongst us. And, he, and I just think it's important we need to remember when I'm unfaithful to God, to remember God wants to reconcile. Not because He needs you or I, but because we need Him. The second thing is I own it. I own my part. Doesn't matter in marriage, friendships, or whatever. Sometimes we're so worried about 
the other the offender or the other person, well, you did this and you did this and you did this. We just need to, first of all, you cannot control what other people do. That's something I took me 60 some years to figure out. I can't control people. Huh. Note to self. I can't, I can't control what people think. I can't control what people do. I can't control what people say. All I can do is influence it. That's really all I, all you and I can do. And, you know, and I think it's important. If you've been, if you've been the one that somebody's been unfaithful to, you have to understand now, there's only one arrangement I'm aware, that I can, I can really agree about is, that it's 100% one party's fault. Or 100% on one end. And that's my relationship with God. Because God does not, does, does, He does not, um, He's not unfaithful. So if there's any unfaithfulness going on, it's going on with me. And it's important whether I'm the, or I heard somebody say it this way, if it's only 1% of the problem, that they're 99% guilty on that one at least. Good advice. Takes courage to do that. But I need to own it. Look what it says here in the Bible. But if we own up to our sins, God shows that He is faithful and just by forgiving us our sins. If we'll just own our part, God is faithful. Why? He wants to work it out. But it's important that we admit and own our sin. Here's a second or third thing now, and that's assess why it happened. How did this thing happen to begin with? We've got, we have to, we have to go back and go, how did this start? What started this? You, you do a Google search of, of a list of causes of infidelity. Ten reasons why he cheats. Ten reasons why she cheats. 30 reasons why people are unfaithful. There's 30? Oh my goodness. What are the top three? Here are the top three. The first one is a cheating partner. We see them as they've been unfaithful to me, therefore I'm justified by being unfaithful to them. That's the number one. Problem with this with God is He's not been unfaithful. Here's another reason. Unhappiness. I'm just disappointed and I'm unhappy. Why? Well, I don't feel like my needs have been fulfilled. Or my wants, my wants, they're so strong. I want this and I want this and I don't feel like that's happening. And the third one is physical and emotional distance. We've just grown apart over time. Top three. And so you've got to ask yourself, how did this happen when you're unfaithful to God? How did it happen? Did I think God... You, know, a lot, you look at the Psalms, David is very clear and very, very upfront. He felt like there's times when God abandoned him and, and turned his back on him, and God hadn't. So is, do I think God's not come through for me? That sets me up. Makes, it makes the temptation for a spiritual affair very, very, very strong. And when it comes to unhappiness, and let's, I'm just being honest with you, you know, and married couples, I, I have, I've had my moments where I've not been happy in my marriage. Denise can tell you she's had her moments. I remember one time we were married just a couple of years and I said, you know, I'm thinking about divorcing you and I was bluffing her. And she goes, it's crossed my mind too. And she wasn't bluffing. Yikes. We went to a marriage retreat down in Missouri and, and I remember she could, we were supposed to write a letter to one another, a Valentine letter to one another. It was a Valentine's weekend, and she's crying. And I go, "What's wrong, man? I got to tell you something. What? I I can't think of anything to write down. Are you kidding me? Are we that trouble? Yeah, we're that much in trouble. You ask any couple, they're unhappy about something." And they've probably told someone. Getting awful quiet in here, but I know that's true. And we get unhappy with God. We feel like He should, we should get something or come through with something and He doesn't come through and we don't know why. I'll tell you, I'm learning this still. He loves us is why. It's because of love for us that He, 
that that he doesn't and he does. And maybe it's just a physical or emotional distance. I'm just so caught up in everything else. I'm real close to my car. I'm real close to my house. I'm real close to my job. I'm real close to my kids. I'm real close. Some of this is good stuff. And I, and I just don't have physically. I'm distant. Emotionally, I'm in another channel. And it sure makes, it sure makes a spiritual affair. You gotta to get to the bottom of it. Why is this, did this happen? And the last thing is take measures to prevent it from happening again. You've got to take measures. Sometimes drastic ones. You might have, might have to change a job, but in marriage, change the job, change the channel, bust the computer up, change a friendship. I know I'd like to think I'm stronger than everybody, but I'm not. I have people that influence me. And some of them aren't good. I have to remember that. The world can pollute me. The world can pollute you too. Taking drastic measures when it comes to our marriage. And I'll tell you, it takes drastic measures when it comes to having a marriage with the bridegroom. He took drastic measures, didn't he? He sure did. Huge measures. To have a relationship with you and I. And sometimes we have to do that. Now, I, I, you notice, Tim, you, you said four points, four vows. You've only got three on the notes where there wasn't room. And I don't know where you're going to write it. I, I think you ought to write it on the cover somewhere. So if you want to flip your, if you're taking notes, you can flip your bulletin over. And as you look at the face of Jesus, look at this fourth point. This is the fourth vow. And it's a vow that I mentioned my marriage with Jesus publicly. You ever overhear couples or a spouse talking about another spouse? Their, their other, their spouse? You ever eavesdrop and they're complaining? What do you conclude with that marriage? It isn't good, is it? Hear them complaining about, we listened to a comedian last night and he said, my wife, she, she, uh, apparently I must smack my lips too loud when I'm eating because she reminds me and she'll tell me, you know, go in the other room or, or if I have to eat cereal, I have to go to a whole other country. I thought it was funny. And Denise and I laughed because she has told me that. You smack too much and you're, you're crunching too much. And I'm like, here comes the shame. I'll leave, you know, and go have my Captain Crunch somewhere else. It's called Captain Crunch for crying out loud. What do you expect? But you listen to couples talk about each other privately. What do you hear? Uh, you ready? What do you hear from your own lips? See, I remember when I first got married that I don't know if people do this anymore. We jumped in a car and we drove around town honking the horns, the whole wedding party. Anybody do that? Anybody done that? Yeah, I, man, it was a big deal. Well, I remember one couple stopped at McDonald's, the McDonald's drive-thru. They ordered food. And off we went. I remember one time doing a wedding, and there was nobody going with the couple through this town called Flora, Illinois. And Denise goes, oh, Tim, we've got to go with them and honk. Okay. And it's just two cars. What's the point? What is that all about? We're telling the world, aren't we? I just got hitched. I got married. He even says on the back, just married. And even, even our plans, hot springs tonight. I mean, we've got it all on the car. Drawing attention, right? Where did this come from? Well, in ancient times, they didn't have cars. They didn't use chariots. When they, when, when a couple got married, they would walk through the streets like a parade and the, and the best men, would shout, and the wedding party would shout, and they would sing, come out and look, This these two people have gotten married, look what they've done, look what they've done. And people would open up their windows or open up their doors, and sometimes people would come and give them gifts as they're walking down the street. What are they doing? It's a public display of their conviction, their love for each other. They're telling the whole community, 
I married this woman, so I'm no longer available. I married this man, so fellas, strike a name and, you know, the name and number in your black book, cause it's over. They're making it clear. And they're making it clear they're excited. They're making it clear that it's forever. And people, listen, and people are drawn to it. I've never went through, when we've done these weddings, where they drive around honking, I've never seen people like, what's that? What's going on? Huh? No, they go, right? They're joining in. Because it's so exciting. Where are you going, Tim, with this? This is what I hope you'll discuss. Maybe you'll discuss your small group or with a friend as how much do I publicly mention my marriage with Jesus? Because when you talk about Jesus, you'll get some responses from people. And it's not all bad. Sometimes they get excited and honk with you. You draw them in. Look at this passage here in Psalms 116 as we close. I will fulfill my vows to the Lord in the presence of all his people, even amongst us. We should be talking up Jesus. We need that. I need to hear good things. Do I like to hear good things about your husband or your wife? Absolutely. Do I like to hear good things about your kids? Absolutely. But you know, if you're like me, we like to hear good things about Jesus too. Absolutely, Tim. And that's what we, so we talk, we talk publicly. Everybody can see that this, I made a vow to Jesus. The way I sing, the way I carry myself, how involved I get in ministry. All of that is expressed so well because they see He's the love of my life. But notice something else. I used this passage one time. I used this in my, my, uh, niece's wedding. Go ahead and put it up on the screen. Look at this passage. You got it? Yeah. Look at this. The Lord declares that the happy voices of bridegrooms and of brides and and the joyous song of those bringing thanksgiving offerings to the Lord will be heard again in this doomed land. Is there more? Look at this. The people will sing, praise the Lord, for He is good and His mercy endures forever. And it was in the middle of COVID. See, my my niece, they, they wanted to get married in April, but COVID just messed it all up in 2020. It just messed it all up. So they said, okay, well, we'll move it to, we'll move it here. Messed it all up. And finally they get to, they get to, uh, get married. And here we are in Evansville, Indiana, a beautiful golf course. And it's, it's August. It's hot. And there's people in the crowd. And I read this passage and I said, isn't it good to hear the bride and the bridegroom, something good in the middle of this COVID stuff. It's so good and positive to hear something like this. And I just think it's interesting. I found, I was given this passage. What a passage because it's in a doomed land that people need to hear from the bride and bridegroom. You got me? Right now, man, our world just needs to hear something good. Where's it going to come from? It, the bridegroom is trying his best to, to t- say all, but the bride must speak too. And let me encourage you to think about how do you talk about Jesus in public? How often? Because folks, if we'll, if, if we'll do that, people will see our vows. Let them see that we love God exclusively. Of course. Let them see that we communicate. We go to prayer. We, we talk to God. We listen to God. Let them, let them see this vow of faithfulness that, uh, you know, even when I mess up, I'm going, I'm going to make it right. But let them, let them hear your song. Let them hear the excitement. Denise and I are down at Gatlinburg and we're, we're, uh, walking the main street of Gatlinburg just a couple of weekends ago. And you say, well, what's so neat about that? Well, we've been to Gatlinburg before, but the first time we went was on our honeymoon. And here we are walking down the streets of Gatlinburg, and some of the places, Gatlinburg has changed. A lot more tattoo places than than I remember. And Rebel Corner, that used to be diagonal from our hotel there in downtown Gatlinburg, is gone, thank God. And we're walking, and I'm going, you remember when we were here 44 years ago? 40, 40, I could, I'm like, how long have we been? Man, we've been very long time. 44 years ago, we walked down this street. And I remember going into the hotel. You know, I didn't, I didn't make reservations. 
I'm young and stupid, okay? And I go in and I go, hey, mister, I need a room. We just got married. He goes, kid, are you crazy in Gallenberg? On a weekend? We have no rooms. I start panicking. Denise is out in the car waiting. I go, you don't understand. I come out of Gallenberg on my honeymoon. I start losing it. I lose it. I've been wanting to do this. And then she's, we, we dated forever. And man, we're wanting to, can you give us a room? And he goes, where do I go? He goes, hold on, kid. He walks back, comes back. Okay, here's a key. We'll let you have the room that overlooks the street. So here we are. I go back out in the car. She goes, did you get a room? Yeah. Yeah. Got a room. <laughs> she goes, wow, that's, aw- that's awesome. So we, here we are, downtown Gatlinburg, and whenever we want to, we can walk out on the balcony. That balcony is still there. I said, Denise, look, there's that place. And they had SpectraVision, you know, and we saw the gauntlet with Clint Eastwood. And, and you're like, man, and we walked the streets. It was, it was wonderful. I could not say it enough to people. Yeah, we just got married. Yeah, we just got married. Yeah, we just got married. Grooms are excited when they're first married. And can I tell you, even when there's unfaithfulness in a, in a marriage, grooms can get excited. You say, what are you talking about? I'm saying that God will take you back if you've been unfaithful. I was a youth minister in uh, Albany, Illinois, and I lived out in the country, and a stone's throw away was a farm that was owned by Ray and Barb Hickson. Three of their kids came to our church, and I got to know them really well. And one time, Patty comes up to me in tears. Tim, my mom and dad are getting a divorce. What? They're getting a divorce. Why do you guys, are you kidding me? Is there anything I can do? No, they're getting a divorce. She comes back a couple weeks later. They got the divorce, but they're still staying in the same house. I go, huh? Yeah, he's got one half, she's got the other. They've actually put a line down the middle, the whole bit. And they've, they've coordinated time so they don't have to be together. And I go, okay. Still in, under the same roof. This goes on for almost a year. And then I get a call. Hello, Tim? Yeah, this is Barb Hickson. Oh, hi, Barb. Could you do a wedding? I go, okay, now which kid is getting married? Your youngest is in junior high. She's out. Yeah, He is, no way, Tom's getting married. For Patty? No, for me. For you? Yeah. We're, we're wanting to get remarried. Okay, when do you want to do it? Well, right now, because I have a cake baking in the oven. <laughs> Could you not? So I, I run. I mean, it's it's running distance. I run next door with my Bible. First time I've done a, a wedding without notes. I didn't know where to start. And here they, here's Barb, and here's Ray, and her kids are sitting in the sofas and chairs, and just make it hurry up, Tim, because the cake's going to be. It's okay. And I start talking about marriage and about how it's great because it's so exciting to see couples get together, but to come back together, it's just incredible. And, I, and so I start going through the vows. So Barb, do you take Ray? Da, 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 da. And as I'm talking, this is where I, again, the bridegroom, my eye catches the bridegroom. And Ray probably never said five words to me the entire time. Four years I've known him. Maybe five words. I look over and the tears are just coming down this quiet man's cheeks. And I'm going, what is he, what's this about? He is so happy that he can be back together. The bridegroom, if you've been unfaithful, I don't know which vow you need to work on. Love him exclusively. Make that vow today. If it's, if it's to connect with him, I'm gonna, I'm gonna renew that vow today, Tim. They're renewing their vows here in front of me, this little, in this little house. But maybe it's been, it was unfaithfulness that caused it. And to watch them come back together, it excites the bridegroom. When you come back to him, maybe you need to do that. You need to rededicate your life. Say, I gotta make, I need to do the whole vow, the whole thing over. That's what that card and that bulletin's for. Hope you'll look at it. Consider maybe a decision today. I want to open the Bible up with somebody. I want to know more about this church. I want to, I want to, I want, I'm gonna make a decision about something for my kids. I want to know a little more information about that. Something. But maybe you, maybe you want to write somewhere in that that 
comments and prayer requests. I want to rededicate my life to Jesus. I want to fulfill those vows. He's he's fulfilling his vows to you. Why not start fulfilling his vows to him? Let's pray. Father, thank you for uh, just incredible thoughts about weddings and bridegrooms and brides. Father, I think about, you know, how much you... We think, we're thinking about how, really how much you've loved your church and how excited you are to be married to your church. Father, we're not a perfect church. A lot of churches aren't. And yet you just keep being faithful to us. You keep loving us and loving us only. Father, we'll get caught up in something else, almost like an affair. We'll get caught up in loving, letting this rival our love for you. And Father, we pray that we'll see We look at those things and we put them in their proper place by putting you first place. Lord, I pray you bless every marriage here. I know as we talk about the bride and the groom and how wonderful that is, I know somebody in here is going, it's not so wonderful where I'm at. But Father, let them see, give them hope and let them know that you can turn any marriage around. And Father, I pray that this morning, You'll help us as a church love people that will be that church that doesn't desert people, that will be devoted to people. We pray in Christ's name. Amen.